Hello, this is Rabbi Mark Soloway. Welcome to A Dash of Drush, weekly reflections on our world through the lens of Torah. You know, time in the Torah is not like other time. Time in the Torah is not linear. And in fact, sometimes in Biblical Hebrew, what is expressed as a past tense can actually indicate something in the future. And what's expressed as a future or imperfect tense can actually denote something in the past. So there's this um, great and very deliberate confusion about time. And I think this is expressed no more deeply than where we are currently in the Torah. And in fact, the, the famous French medieval commentator Rashi makes a comment. He says uh, very deliberately, Ein mukdam There is no before and no after in the Torah. What does he mean by that? He means that we are about to read, we are reading this week, the story of the sin of the golden calf, which is seen as this massive, massive moment of transgression uh, for the for the Israelites as they as they kind of um, they abandon God and they abandon Moses. It seems it seems obviously it's going to be a much deeper story as we're going to find out. But we've already read verses that talk about the construction of the Mishkan, which is the tabernacle, which creates a space for God's indwelling presence. And the reason that Rashi makes that comment, that comment, Ein Mukdam Umelcha, there's no before and after, is because he's saying it must surely be that even though chronologically in the Torah, this story of the golden calf comes after the instruction to start building the tabernacle, the Mishkan, actually, no, he says, first came this. First came this moment, this moment of abandonment or whatever it is, and then later on the construction, the order to build the, the tabernacle was actually a, a kind of a tikkun, a correction for that. So there's lots of interesting, fascinating questions about this golden calf, about the mishkan, about the tabernacle, and even perhaps about the, the holy cow of um, our special extra reading that we're going to be reading this Shabbat, the holy cow, the para aduma, the red heifer, which is a whole mystery in itself. We may get there I'm joined by a very special guest, a friend and a, a colleague here in Boulder, Colorado, Magida Chana Rosenholtz, a very beloved teacher of Torah in our community uh, with lots of, of deep wisdom and um, thrilled to be joined with you. Hi, Chana. Good morning. Pleasure. It's a pleasure for me too. So, I mean, there's so much. I know you have so much to, to share on this part and you told me that it's your favorite section of Torah. And... So let's start with that question about about time in the sense like why would Rashi make that comment and what is the relationship between this this idol this ultimate idol of a golden calf and the the Mishkan the the, the tabernacle you want to say something about that relationship Well I I think when we allow ourselves to accept the fact that Torah can collapse time at any second that just through the insertion of the letter Vav on a verb, it can be future can change to past, past can change to future, it allows ourselves to enter a sense of mythic time. Hmm. And when we enter into mythic time, suddenly all parts of our mind, our psyche, we can access. 
We can access parts of ourselves that we don't understand. You know, often when we don't understand something, we either revert to the past or we allow our fears to take over. And in a story such as... Fear as in fear of what might happen that we don't know yet. That fear, uncertainty Mm -hmm. breeds fear, Mm -hmm. and that fear often brings actions, activities, and relationships that are less than whole. And so perhaps as we explore um, through this collapse of time, um, as we explore these parts of ourself, our fears that come up, we have the ability to realize that the fears of yesterday, the fears of today, and the fears of tomorrow are really quite similar. Mm. We're forever afraid of the same types of things. And I think this Parsha explores our fear of not being ready to hold the lights of the revelation. Wait, I'm going to try and repeat that back to you. Our fear of not being ready to receive the lights of creation. We need to... Of revelation. Of revelation. Of revelation. Of revelation. Because, I mean, have you ever been in a situation in your life where you wanted something, you received it, but it was so big for you, you didn't know how to stay connected to what had just been revealed to you? I'm sure I have. I (laughs) I can't access a specific memory, but... So you're saying that's the connection. So receiving Torah on Mount Sinai, and then the the uh, inability to really know what that was, and so the, the need for a tangible, physical, something that they could worship as God. Beautifully said. You, We revert back to what is familiar when we're most afraid. Right. And so think about it. The Israelites, after the first, maybe the second commandment, said, Moses, please, it's too much for us. You do that. And so Moses continued to bring down the lights and the wisdom of the revelation. And the rest of the people step back a little bit because it just seemed too much for them. In that vacuum, in that place of being not ready, that's when fears can most bubble up. And so just, just to remind people who might not be familiar with what actually happens, uh, Moshe goes back up to the, to the mountain and he's gone and he says he's going to be back in 40 days and the 40 days apparently passes although it's not so super clear that it does but then the people are freaking out without Moses and they demand of Aaron Moses's brother who is the, the you know already been appointed as a high priest to make this object which they can celebrate as God and so they take the jewelry and the gold and the, they put it on a fire and a calf comes out of the fire a golden calf and that's really and then they kind of go they have practically an orgy of ecstasy as they celebrate in front of this calf and then Moses comes back and he's angry and God's angry and it's it's a it's a terrible scene everyone's very unhappy a lot of anger and and a lot of um nobody wanting to take full responsibility even Aaron who cast perhaps even engraved uh this calf said I don't know what happened I just threw it into this fire and out came this calf right right and uh, that sense of accountability of who's ready to stand up for yes. their good, bad, and ugly. And there's becomes... a great connection in the Hebrew between what Aaron saw and what he feared, because it says vayar, like Aaron saw, but the Midrash says that he what he really saw was causing him such great fear, because according to the Midrash, the, the people actually sacrificed Hur 
um, who was <laughs> a character that disappears from the story and uh, and that in that that moment Aaron is terrified for his own life so he sort of consents to the will of the people and so it comes also from a place of fear but also you're saying like not not accepting responsibility not respecting responsibility and also I mean I noticed that the tradition often says it's the mixed multitude right that was responsible oh, them. for this yes. so we have here blaming an other yes. that seems to be not of yours, yes. dealing with fear, anger. So we have embedded in the story these really difficult emotions that's part of our lives, but we often don't know how to deal with them. Hmm. So fear, anger, lack of responsibility, lack of readiness to actually receive the greatness of the gift, and so our need to create something else. So. I want to bring us back for a moment just to, to, to talk about that, that first question about the relationship then between this act, because the whole community is clearly involved in creating this golden calf, and the whole community, you know, as we read a couple of weeks ago, is involved in the construction of the Mishkan, of the tabernacle. So what, what is the fundamental difference between those two acts of a community building and working on a project together and um, why does Rashi insist that even though the Torah begins the story of the tabernacle first, the Mishkan first, that actually this comes first? Uh, it's a great question. And there seems to be that the greatest difference between those two stories is that in the co contribution to the Mishkan, there happened to be, in the story of the contribution to the Mishkan, Moses was present. When the golden calf was built, Moses was not present. So the question becomes, what role did he play for the people? When he, when he was there, there was a sense of giving and building and hope. When he was gone and that dependency on him couldn't be realized, that's when the fears came up. Uh, so there's something about yes. our dependency on leadership and how if we don't have that inner sense of authority for ourselves um, and our leader isn't present, we begin to tumble into our darker emotions. Mm -hmm. And objectify and, and need some something that we can call God. We need to. And we also find when things don't work out, yeah. that's when we want to blame. And I suppose that that is exactly what's at the heart, I imagine, of, of Rush's comment that says, okay, this is where the people were, like you said, they couldn't actually handle the immensity of what that moment of revelation was. So they built this thing, and what's going to be the the corrective for that? It's going to be building a very different kind of space. And of course, you know, from a physical perspective, the golden calf has no center. There's no there, there. It's like a just a solid lump of gold, whereas the Mishkan is all about the space inside it. It's all about what's at the center. It's like... That's the space, the liminal space that creates the possibility of presence of God. Whereas the object, and that's really, I think, the ultimate reason why our tradition is so, has so much to say and so much kind of negativity about the whole concept of Avodazara, of idol worship. Because if you're worshipping an idol, you're worshipping something that is solid with no capacity to create space for, for a, a, a God's presence. Right, and and if if you think about it, if if we're created B'Tselem Elohim, if we're created in the image of God, 
that means our capacity to grow is endless. It also suggests that it is that not being able to have that filled inner sense, to have that that openness and that space between invites us into our imaginative capacities. And so it is only through our imagination, our not knowing, our comfort with not knowing, that we can raise our eyes and continue to grow. As soon as we reify or solidify that image, something deep inside gives up and says, okay, that's good enough. Oh, I, I mean, I really, I feel very compelled by what you just said because I think that our society and culture is suffering from a great lack of imagination right now. And so we, we put our trust in all kinds of different idols and monsters. And, and I think that, um, yeah, the, the ability to have that spiritual and emotional imagination that allows us to see beyond the physicality of this object and be in, in a kind of relationship that's subtle and nuanced and uh, has the capacity for growth and, and depth and evolution. That's right. And, and, you know, you can measure a culture and a society. We record the wars, but we remeasure that culture and society by their arts and their music and these kinds of legacies that they leave towards us and um, exalting that. Even, even the Mishkan, which becomes, as it were, a stepping stone for the people. Okay, you can't handle this all at once. Um, so here's a stepping stone. If you build this, if you find this space between, this will help you grow towards um, a, 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 a more rectified soul. Mm. And so God says, out of my mercy, I create this ability for you to work it because you humans seem to need the grueling work of self-actualization to move forward. Mm. So here's my Mishkan, work this. And by the way, the principle, one of the principles of this Mishkan will be phenomenal beauty. Because it is through this beauty, the arts that you will access God. You don't think the calf was beautiful? I, if I had seen it. I mean, it was made of gold. It was some of the same materials that were used in the Mishkan, right? I, um... You know, you know what? What is it that we idolize that is shiny? Um, those things aren't always the highest spiritual principle, <laughs> right? So it's 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 like deliberately a, 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 a celebrating material value rather than essence and substance, <laughs> right? Um, I would like to think that if I had been there and seen that, I would have. Well, I was there, of course, as were you, as were many of our listeners. Um, so if you remember you were there, perhaps you were revulsed, as I hoped I would have been. Um, I also think it's interesting, Midrash, that the women did not take the gold out of their ears, that the women saw right through this ruse and did not contribute to the making of the golden calf. And as you know, for that, they received the gift of Rosh, Rosh Chodesh, to help bring in the new moon. Yes. And so... I mean, once again, the, the theme of, of, of women and resistance, which um, we, we spoke about, I spoke about with Rabbi David Seidenberg when we were talking about those those um, very heroic women, the Shifra and Pua, the Hebrew midwife. So right. there's that trope kind of continues through, like women resisting. 
Yes. Yes. So I have yes, women. So so I have a question to you. I find it very interesting. Um, there there's two words in this parsha that show up again and again. One of them begins with the word pakad, uh, pay kuf dalid, which suggests a remembering. Uh, a taking note of, but also a sense of accountability. Yeah, reckoning. A real reckoning. So we have this sense that as the people are counted and are lifted mm-hmm. up mm-hmm. to be counted, it's not just a, oh, there's one and there's another. It's, here's a soul. All right, mm-hmm. I'm going to have hold an accountability for this soul. And so we're being asked to be lifted up to our highest self. We fall, and we fall hard. Yeah. And um, how many times did that word you you counted? How many times? Well, Pakad, I, I counted the word Panav in this partial oh, because that's the other word. The word Panav, face, face, because face up to face up look, to look into my face, face each other, face each other. You know, so so the question for me becomes: What does the role of relationship? have to do with this accountability who's in relationship to who what is the quality of that relationship and how important is the intimacy of knowing you know for example what happens between god and moses who have such anger and appropriately so yeah. i mean how many miracles but god says to moses you cannot look into my pana into my face and live that's right so what is the intimacy? It's not about face in that in that sense. It's not a face in, although it also says that they speak panim al panim. Correct. So, you know, you, you have a paradox in here that, that has to be taken apart a little bit. I mean, if, if Moses truly saw God's face, Moses would be subsumed within the one. And so I think all it means is, if you truly saw my face, it would become non-dual, and just to clarify, when you and I are talking about God's face, we're not talking, of course, about any kind of physical form like a human face, but it's all metaphor about the, the capacity, like you were just saying, about the, the inability to really receive revelation of Torah. It's like there's this inability to really grasp the, the fullness of who God is. It's, it's a countenance beyond anything we can imagine, right. and that beyondness is an essential yeah. part of who God is. So Moses can see the afterglow, but there's still an intimacy there of having communication where Moses completely can channel God's will. And and that intimacy, that knowing, is um, holds a place for um, for all of us to ascribe towards. So I have a question for you. When you think about the um you know that this 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 golden calf one of the darkest points after after revelation uh the sages say that this was akin to the eating of the apple of adam and eve that they were exalted and fell far that the revelation was the ability to to rise to that place again and we fell again What's the relationship between this fall and then the receiving of the 13 dote, this amazing channels of forgiveness? Mm-hmm. What's the <clears throat> connection between this light and this shadow? Before I respond to the question, just to, to fill in what that, that is, like after this terrible sin and there's this moment and Moses like drops the, the tablets and they break and there's this like anger and punishment and all the rest of it, but then... 
uh, Moshe really appeals to God's uh, compassion and then we have this incredible set of verses that talks about God's 13 attributes of compassion which come throughout our liturgy and specifically the liturgy of, of Yom Kippur and the days up to Yom Kippur which is because all in the the realm of slichot which is forgiveness wow so that's a good question <laughs> the question of how this breakdown of relationship connects to the ultimate I, I suppose for me the the um, however far we fall there's always this redeeming sense that there is if we really allow ourselves to tune into it there is a force that we many of us call God that ultimately is, is about compassion and forgiveness and that um, and that we always have that capacity I mean in in you know in Judaism the whole idea of teshuva of, of always being able to return to our truer deeper essence is always available to us and I think it's available to us precisely because we believe ultimately even though God appears angry and vengeful and all of these ways in which God is manifest throughout throughout the Torah that ultimately that's the the central um, image that we want to perceive as mm. God you know I find I find great comfort I find great comfort in knowing that um, even with this vengeful, wrathful face of God that often shows up in Torah, that underneath that is that safety net of deep compassion that mm -hmm. I as a soul, no matter how ridiculous my actions might be or how far I fall from my potential, that there's a God so loving that, that I'll be caught. That that not only that's a source of great comfort and what i love about that story is that it was only via moses and god both acknowledging their anger and anger's fire anger is an intense fire fire can burn but fire can also weld and create things and so by staying in relationship even through their anger it was that fire that created the transformation for that mercy to come down. What I learned from that is that if I become angry, when I become angry, that I can just let that emotion take over me or I can explore it to find out what's underneath it. Mm -hmm. Maybe that anger is helping me create a boundary. This is good, this isn't good. I believe in this, I don't believe in this. If I use that, information and stay connected to the person that I'm angry with, we can work through that and we can come to a place that is much higher than we were before. Anger isn't something we have to be afraid of. We just have to understand how to use it as a tool to build instead of destroy. That's what I get Beautiful. out of that. Yeah. Well, we, as we draw this conversation to a close, it's been a very rich conversation. We've covered a lot of ground here, but I you know, so there's a lot of elements that um, that come through this this incredible section of Torah. I kind of understand, uh, knowing you, <laughs> why this is such a such an important and deep uh, piece of Torah for you. And so I'm wondering how we can sort of how we can round this up and and perhaps even even turn it into a into a blessing for 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 for, for us all, like a blessing. Just 
I mean, some so many elements of like finding that compassion about being involved in projects that really create space and opening and nuance and possibility and imagination rather than than spaces that just have nowhere else to go. So you know, I think I think we all carry around golden calf energy. And we all have places of uncertainty and ambiguity, things that we don't understand, places we have anger. I, I would love to bless us with the ability to face uncertainty and ambiguity without losing faith in a divine intelligence, and more importantly, without losing face or faith with each other. And so the blessing that I would like to give forth is the ability, is the invitation to look at what makes you angry or separates you from the other. And try and find that common ground and that similarity. Try to stay with it, to trust and to stay with it to the point of understanding and growing and being able to face uncertainty without crumbling. Amen. May it be so. May it be so. Thank you. What a pleasure to have this conversation with you. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you for listening to A Dash and Drush. We will see you next time.